Well, if you have a Bible, please turn to the first chapter of Genesis, the first uh, few pages um, in the Bible there. We're going to be starting in uh, verse 26. We're going to be going down through the end of the chapter. So if you would, um, turn your Bibles, your scrolls, tablets, or whatever. There's a fly attacking me up here. (laughs) Hear the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, the in, it's infallible and errant. It's um, it is, it, what it says is true is true, and it never can be proven wrong. It is your revealed special will to us that we might know you, that we might know how to live. And so this morning, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would teach us and guide us as we look into the depths of your word. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a, a popular song out right now uh, that's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm only human. Is the name of the t- is, a, is the the phrase in the song, and the song goes on to say, you know, don't blame me. I'm only human, and and the song is in some ways a good song. It has a somewhat a good message. And, and, and one angle you could think of the song as saying, you know, I, I don't, you know, I I'm, you know, I'm I don't I have no responsibility because I'm just a human. On the other side of it is, you know, hey, we're all human. Don't judge me. So there's like positive side of the song or whatever. But when he says, I'm only human, it, it raises a good question. What does that mean? What does it mean to be human? And I think it raises a, a really big questions that we tend to just kind of assume. We assume that we know exactly what it means to be a human being. And we allow those assumptions to be guided and, and, and directed by people in our culture. And so the problem is, you know, so we, you ask a simple question, but what does it really mean? Are we evolved apes? Why are we here? What is our purpose? And, and so that question can be answered in a lot of different ways. So, for example, uh, William Provine, who's a professor of bio- biological science at Cornell University, he said this. 
He wanted to summarize the human existence. He wanted to answer his question. He answered the question this way. Let me summarize my views on what modern evolutionary biology tells us loud and clear. So he's telling us, this is what evolution defines a human. There are no gods, no purposes, no goal-directed forces of any kind. There is no life after death. And when I die, I am absolutely certain that I am going to be dead. That's the end for me. There's no ultimate foundation for ethics, no ultimate meaning to life, and no free will for humans either. That's positive, right? Well, thankfully, God's Word gives us a really different picture. God's Word gives us a very different picture. And here in Genesis 1 and then also 2, we're given four essential truths that grounds what it means for us to be human. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the first four chapters of Genesis and, and, and letting it tell us what we are and who we are. And these are foundational truths that if we don't get right, everything starts to get messed up. And so, I don't know if you read the Vintage Voice or not. I know y'all, y'all study it copiously sometimes. But uh, in that I said, you know, what is genocide, racism, murder, uh, divorce, uh, abortion? What are, what are these things have in common? They all come out of a, a missing, missing the point of what it means to be a human and what a human is. And so but God's word here gives us four essential truths that ground what it means to be a human. So first of all, we see here. That we are created by God. We are created. Now, now you might say, Russell, come on. That is really obvious. This is really simple idea. You know, like this is like what you this may be one of the first things you learn in Sunday school class. So like super basic truth that the Bible teaches that God created us. But let me tell you, this is an essential, important idea in God's word. And so we see in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the, of the sea and the birds of the heavens and of the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that's on the earth. So God says, Let us create man. And so you, very clearly here, you see that God is the initiator and the author and the, the maker of human beings. And so, if we're not created, then what? So that's the question. So if you miss this little truth, if you're not created, then something else had to happen. So there's probably a, there's a couple of scenarios. One would be that somehow we created ourselves. And I don't think many people hold to that. I don't, I've never met anybody who thinks that human beings somehow manage to create themselves. Okay? But the other option is that we were just some product of random chance, evolutionary selection, or something like that. Or if they really get out there, they'd say that some alien place, and uh, there was a meteorite and whatever, and, and somehow alien life ended up here. But that still begs the question, where did the alien life come from, right? But, so here's the question. If we're not created, then we're left 
just to be the product of a random selection and chance. And so therefore, by deduction, we are just really smart, hairless apes. Some of us a little less hairy than others. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> but we are. We're just, we're just, if that's true, if we're not created, we're just hairless apes. And I've always said, you know, if you teach young people that they just evolved from apes, and then they start acting like apes, their people are surprised. I've never understood that. You know, I wonder, okay, we teach these kids in our schools that they're apes, basically, that they just a lot smarter, and they've moved down the line a little bit, and, but then they start to act like apes and animals, and then we're surprised. And that's, it just, it just blows my mind. So, here's the thing, though. The Bible teaches us that we are created. Okay, but there's two parts to this, okay? That there's two parts. Okay, first of all, it says that we are created out of the dust of the earth. In chapter 2, we didn't, we didn't read this part, but if you jump ahead, you see God coming down and creating man out of the dust of the earth. So he's taking the components of this earth and this world, and he uses that to create a man, humankind. Now, that's important because we're not just some spiritual beings that get sort of teleported here. We are a part of this earth. And this, part, this earth is a part of us in a lot of ways. And it should also, we should also say that when, when scientists you know, re- realize that our DNA is in some ways connected to DNA of animals and other parts of this world, we, this should not be a surprise at all. We should look at this and say, the Bible already told us that. We should know that we are connected. However... Okay, the second part of this is that we are created uniquely and specially and specifically. And so, because if, if, you, if you, we're not going to do it because we don't have time, but if you chart through this chapter, you see God creating and, 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 and ordering the world. And, and, and he's, he's, he's bringing plant life and he's, he's creating this earth and He's creating light and water and space, and he's creating animals and plants to live here. And then, as a pinnacle, as the the height of what he would do, he creates man and woman. And he creates them in a way that he didn't create any of the other creatures. He creates them in his image. And so, we see that... At least the author of uh, Genesis here is, is making a point here that humans, although we are connected and we are a part of this world, we do share DNA, we are special and we are uniquely created. One guy put it this way, that man is the crown of God's handiwork, his human life. The creation account shows an ascending order of significance with human life as the final, thus pinnacle, creative life. Francis Safer put it this way. It is as though God put an exclamation point here to indicate that there is something special about the creation of man. So here's the thing. We are not just naked apes. We are created. And we are created uniquely and specially by God. 
And this is foundation. We'll get into this why. But, but one of the things that this means is we are responsible. If you are created, you are responsible to the one that creates you. Now, if we had created ourselves, if we had somehow managed to create ourselves out of whatever, then we could make the rules. We could decide what we do with our lives. We could decide where, what we think and how we should think and how we should live and all those kind of things. We're going to see why this is going to come really important when we get into chapter 3 and what happens there. But the reality is if you are created, you are made by someone, you owe them responsibility. You owe them something. Right? And if, if you make something, you get to decide what you use it for. Right? So, very simple idea. Okay? So, if man was his own creator, he would be responsible to no one. But we are not our own creator. We are created by God. And this means we are responsible to God for what he does in every area of his life, particularly for how we carry out the mandate to rule over creation. We'll get into that a little while. Okay? So, first of all, foundation number one, we're created. And secondly, we're not just created... We're created with value. Created with value. Look in verse 27. It says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So let me ask you, what is the worth of a human being? Now, scientists and other economists try to figure out that. If you're ever murdered or if you ever, you know, they might try to figure out what you may have earned in your life for damages to your family, those kinds. But what is a human being worth? And what makes a human being valuable or not? And if you think about that, if we don't answer that well, if we miss that first part and we miss this part here, then, then all of a sudden the, our value system starts to get messed up and we start to value people for different reasons. So, for example... Uh, I think this was in the 1970s, there was a group of people that banded together and began to um, protest and boycott and picket American Airlines. And the group, they named themselves Uglies Unlimited. Uglies Unlimited. In other words, they were a group of people that had acknowledged the fact that the world considered them ugly. And what they were protesting was is that these airlines and other organizations, the media outlets or whatever, were advertising and pursuing pretty people to work for them. And so, and, and so uh, the, the president at the time of Uglies Unlimited says he wants his, he just, he, his group just wants to be accepted for who they are instead of what they look like. Mr. McCoy estimates that 10% of all Americans are considered to be ugly, and he points out that it hurts to be devalued because of your lack of good looks. And so if, we don't, if we're not created with value, what gives us value? How you look, how you perform, how smart you are, your education, where you grew up, your color of your skin. What makes a person value? And here, we are taught that we are created in the image of God. It's the image and likeness. Now, there's a good question. What is the difference between likeness and image? My view on this is there's no difference. 
There's no and in the original language. And so it's, we were, God was to create man in the image, comma, likeness of God, right? And so it's, it's just, and also it's like Hebrew parallelism, which is to say the same thing and repeat it. So we're creating the image and likeness. And so in other words, we are created to look like God in some ways. Or I like it better like this, that we are created to reflect things about God. So, for example, I've always used this illustration. I love the illustration of a diamond. You think about a diamond, or even that matter, a mirror, but let's say a diamond. The very worth and value of a diamond is not in anything of itself. It, It does not radiate any light on its own. But we like diamonds because they sparkle, right? But so what's a good diamond? Okay, I learned this when I got married years and years ago. Uh, that when you select a diamond, why? Because it glows bright? No, it can't. You select a diamond because the, the, the better the diamond, the more it, it reflects light better. So you look at things like cut and clarity and, and so on, right? And so all of those factors have to do with its ability to reflect light that it doesn't produce. And that's what's going on here is that we are created uniquely, specially to reflect God's glory, God's attributes. And so what theologians would say is that we are to reflect an image, the attributes of God that he can communicate to us. Now, we can, we're, none of us are going to be omniscient. None of us are going to be, um, which means we know everything. None of us are going to be omnipotent. We're not going to be all-powerful. We're not going to be infinite. Those are the incommunicable attributes of God. But rather, the communicable ones would be things like um, intelligence, knowledge, spiritual understanding, creativity, wisdom, love, compassion, holiness, justice, and go on down the list. And so, unlike animals, unlike anything else in creation, every human being uniquely can image God himself. And because of that, we are valuable. We are valuable beyond our imagination. And that means every human being has value and dignity. Every human being has value and dignity. This is why Jesus in uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says, um, he makes this comment, he's talking about anger and resentment in our heart. And he says, if whoever says, you fool, I think the word is moron, it's actually moron in the Greek, is liable to the hell of fire. Why would, God, why would Jesus say, if you call somebody a moron, have you ever called somebody a moron? Yeah? If you call somebody a moron, you're liable for the hell of fire. Why would he say that? I think there's a key here. You can, come on in, dude. He's got he's to deal with this guitar. Come on in, yeah. Oh, he's locked out is why. <laughs> yeah, get to it, man. We need a closing song. <laughs> Um, why would Jesus say this? I think there's a key here, okay? Because he starts with resentment. And when we get to a place 
where in the Greek, to call somebody a moron at the time would be to say that they are less than human. So whatever term we might use, and there's a lot of terms out there, right, that now, thankfully, if you say certain words, if you call people certain things, in our culture at least, it gets you fired or suspended or something, right? And that's good. Because we, we are really good at coming up with terms. I don't think moron is specific. I think when we come up with a term that degrades somebody's value to even slightly lower than another human being, we are in a sense robbing them of the value and dignity that comes with being created in the image of God. So, for example, I, was at, I went and visited my, my granddad a few weeks ago up in Atlanta, and one of his neighbors came by. My, uh, I could tell my granddad wasn't happy he was coming by, and this guy, he came, and he just talked and talked. But let me tell you what he, the stuff that was coming out of his mouth, you know, it was all I could do not to jump out of my seat and punch him in the throat or something. Because what he was saying was, he was talking about black people and was saying things like, you know, I know God might have created them, but if he did, he really messed up on them. And, you know, he was using the N-word and this, that, and the other. And I just remember thinking, man, this guy is so hateful. But what he had to do, if you heard what he said, he, he couldn't say that a, a person with a different color of skin, black, was created by God in his image. He had to say that, oh, no, something happened. He couldn't possibly be valuable and created in the image of God. Let me tell you, that guy was dead wrong. Okay? Here's the thing, though. If we don't believe this teaching that we are created and we are created in God's image, that guy was right. We, if, we, if we don't believe that we are given value by God, there's nothing to say that we have it. And then... We start using criteria like the color of somebody's skin or, or how well they are, how smart they are at school or how much money they have or where they're from or anything, any number of things you are left with. Or, heard Tim Keller talking about this not too long ago, you're left with something, and this is where philosophers and scientists are at this point, you're left with what we call capacity. So a person's value is, is only in their capacity to reason, to think, to do things. So that's where we come to abortion. And in abortion, we say they don't have the capacity. They don't have the, the means, and so therefore, it's okay that they be... And here's that, Carl, Carl Sagan. Um, he said, okay, he, he agreed with that, but he said, if you believe that, then it has to go beyond birth because a baby doesn't have the capacity to care for itself doesn't have the capacity to to decision oh but not only then but what about the really elderly what about the senile then they don't have the capacity then then their life isn't worth anything oh then what about the, the the severely mentally ill what about them they don't have the capacity let's go down the so it gets ugly and let me tell you people are pissed at carl sagan you know why He's right. If all you go on is capacity, 
all you're left with is um, it goes beyond birth. It goes into every aspect of our lives. Then, it's a, then the question becomes capacity for what? And so, here's the thing, though. Based on this, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much the, maybe the image of God has been marred in your life, based on this teaching, there is a rock-solid, objective, irreducible glory and significance and value and worth about you. Simply because you've been created in the image of God. Every human being has. And so we have immense value. So thirdly, we see we were created with purpose. Look at verses 26. I'm going to jump down to 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the the heavens and over the livestock over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And jump down to 28. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so what is this going on here? God is giving man purpose well there's two really and actually i i, I used to met, i used to joke around with teenagers uh and tell them ask them like what's the first commandment in the bible you ever you ever heard this and they'll say like don't don't lie don't you know murder don't this that and the other they come up with any number of reasons it's like no if you go to the first chapter of genesis the first command is to be fruitful and multiply to have sex <laughs> and that always gets a laugh right but so we're given two jobs. One is that we would multiply, that we would have babies. And the second is that we would have dominion over this world, that we would be caretakers, that we would be regents or vice regents, caretakers, governors over this creation. We are given the job to take care of this world. And, and, and if, you think, if you look at this, I'm not, I can't get into this in de- depth, but if you look at what God does in creation, and, and you really see uh, the, the order, see cha- uh, the day one and day six and day uh, three and five, so on, correspond with each other in a way that shows that God is, is ordering and dividing and creating out of chaos. And one of the things that it says is that when, we, when God creates man in chapter 2, it says there is nobody to care for the earth. There was no one to tend the earth. And so, what you see is a parallel, is that we are put in place by God to do what He has done. To create, to order, to bring beauty, to bring love, to bring everything good that he brings, we are called to bring into this world. And he invites us into that, prom- that promise. And so we are to care for the land, have dominion over the animals, because we are to bring order and beauty out of the natural chaos. So, for example, I had a, a professor who, uh, he would, at the time, he, he brought up a computer. And he said, where did this come from? Let's say, where did this iPhone come from? Anybody? <laughs> from California somebody's head right but if you think about it this phone right here that's in my hand came out of the dirt 
Where does plastic come from? Petroleum. Where does glass come from? Rocks. Where does metal come from? The ground, right? There is nothing in this phone that didn't come out of the ground. That's amazing. That is beautiful. That is, and now, these, these things can be a, a detriment. They can be a harm. They can also be very powerful. Very amazing, right? And so, the amazing truth is, is that that's what we do. We create out of chaos. That's, where we, that's what God has called us to do. We are called in a purpose, not just to, to show up on a Sunday morning and listen and sing songs. Where We're called to be a, his, his, his governors and vice regents and co-creators here in this world. So we are created with purpose. And that's all I'm going to say on that one. And then lastly, we are called, or excuse me, we are created for fellowship with God. And if, if you look in these passages, you see God creating man. And, and he's creating us uniquely and specially, but he's creating us not just like animals that would serve a purpose or, and, and so on. He's also creating us so that we can be in relationship with him. And that is in part what it means to be created in the image of God is that you are created in a way that you uniquely, unlike anything else in God's creation, are created in a capacity to be in fellowship with Him. And so, you see it, when God created this garden, He creates this place in chapter 2 that is perfectly designed for all the needs and things and everything that, that man and woman needs. He has created it there for them. We also see him walking with them and coming down and, and, and speaking face to face with them. And even how he created Adam. We see him being, Adam is being formed out of the dirt and then God comes close. It's this picture of, of relationship and intimacy and breathes into him life. Whereas with the other animals, he just speaks them into the existence. So we are created to be in relationship and fellowship with God. And this is why God would eventually send His own Son that He might restore this, a broken relationship, the broken fellowship that occurred, as we're going to see in a few weeks, that occurred when we fell and rebelled and turned away from him. We rejected our job and purpose as, as governors and vice regents and co-creators. And we decided to, to instead try to take care of our, in charge of ourselves and not be responsible to him. And so God sent his son with a perfect life we could never live to die a death we perfectly deserved. So that we might be restored to fellowship with him. The beautiful truth that you and I... Are created. Which means we have value and significance. And we all have purpose. And we're all created to fellowship with him. This reminds me of um, a quote in uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, essay called The Weight of Glory. He says this, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet at at all only in a nightmare. All day long, 
We are, in some degree, helping each other to one or, or other of these destinations. So what is he he's saying? That we, that every human being is, a, is created an image of God, is created with eternity in our hearts, and that one, either a person is going to splendor and glory, or they are going to another place. Either the image of God is going to be restored and, and, and rectified in them, or it's going to go the other way. And every day, all day long, in some degree, we are helping each other to one or other of these destinations. And he calls that the weight of glory. He says, this is, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life of a gnat, he says. But if it is immortals whom we joke, with whom we work, we marry, we snub, exploit. Immortal horrors, everlasting splendors. And so the, it comes down to a huge question. Do you take that weight of glory? Do, do we take the responsibility that either, some people are going towards glory and some people aren't? Where are we in that process? Where are we when it comes down to this? Let me give an illustration of what it means for us to bring humanity and dignity to the people around us. Um, there was a soldier who was um, with the British Red Cross, and they were a part of the original liberators of the concentration camps in Germany. And he describes the, the horror that he saw. And he describes these people that had been so dehumanized. They had been so treated like, not even like animals. Like they, they were treated as if they were nothing. A roach to be smashed. And so every aspect of dignity and, and worth and value had been stripped away from these people. And he, and he says this. It was shortly after the British Red Cross arrived, though it may have no connection, that a very large quantity of lipstick arrived. And this is not at all what we wanted. We were screaming for hundreds and thousands of other things, and I don't know who asked for lipstick. And I wish so much I could have discovered who did it. It was the action of a genius, a sheer, unadulterated brilliance. I believe nothing did more for these in internees than the lipstick. Um, women lay in bed with no sheets, no night tie, but with red scarlet lips. You saw them wandering about with nothing but a blanket over their shoulders, but with red scarlet lips. I saw a woman dead on a post-mortem table and clutched in her hand as a piece of lipstick. At last... Someone had done something to make them individuals again. They were someone, no longer merely a number tattooed on the arm. At last they could take an interest in their appearance. That lipstick started to give them back their humanity. You see, the, the power of blessing people with value and dignity, that's my friends, is the weight of glory that we are called into as God's people. 
It's not just, not just that we would go tell people about Jesus. And that is a huge part of what we do. But we are also a part of God's plan of restoring and bringing people value and dignity that has been so marred by this world. It's part of why I love the, of the movie, even though I know it's not true to the story. The real story is not good. But the, the story of Barnum, P.T. Barnum, it's just the movie that's out now. Um, and it, Greatest Showman, thank you. And in, in the story, you see him, and he gives value and dignity to people who know, weren't receiving it. A, a bearded fat lady, you know, a guy with tattoos all over his body. You know, all these people were, were shunned and, and rejected in our world. I mean, the real story is, is that that still happens today if you're not good enough you're not smart enough you're not wealthy enough if if you're not the right color skin you don't come from the right place you don't have the right job or whatever it is we don't have value and and people walk around in shame because of it i just um watched uh i didn't watch i just watched the movie it was terrible i read the book that's ready player one and there's in the story uh the people are the, uh, into this, uh, everybody is, logs into what they call the oasis, which is this virtual reality. And you could be anything you want. And all the normal things that would make you feel like you're not worth anything, like you don't have any value and dignity, you can get rid of because you, you can, you know, you can be anything. You can be a giant ogre, you can be a mouse. You can be anything you want. And people choose their avatars, and that's how they live or whatever. Well, two, the two main character and, uh, um, and his best friend online, his name's H. And at the, towards the end of the story, they finally meet in person. And H says, you, know, you need to be prepared because I, I, don't, I think you're going to be really surprised when you meet me. Because H is his best buddy, man. They, they've been, you know, they talked about girls, all this stuff, whatever. And he finally meets H. And H turns out to be a black girl <laughs> and there's this moment where he's like you know and he doesn't know what to do with this and then it's a great moment he smiles and realizes person's skin color or whatever this is my friend he, and it's great he, you know because in, in the book it describes her she wouldn't even look up off her feet and finally he hugs her and says good to see you h you know, this moment with, didn't matter what she looked like, where she was from, what color her skin was. None of that mattered. She was, a, she was her friend. And that, that's what we're called to. We're called to value others, no matter what they look like, where they're from, or any of that stuff. No matter how bad you've been, no matter how long you've gone, there's a rock-solid objective irreducible glory and significance and value and worth about every human being. And the good news is that though our the image of God is so terribly marred in some of us and some, some of us some people have, have the image of God is so marred and so broken that they, it's hardly recognizable anymore but let me tell you it's there. And the gospel sings out to it and longs to restore that in every human being. And so that is our calling. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel.
which is designed to to restore the image of, of God in us, that we would become more and more conformed to the likeness of your son Jesus, the perfect human. And Lord, I pray that as we go out from here, Lord, number one, that we would seek to be restored in fellowship with you, that we would, we would, we would receive the free gift of what your son Jesus did to us, that we might take on the new man and be restored in our humanity. And Lord, I also pray as God's people, we would be people that bring lipstick to hell. That we would bring dignity and hope and life to people where it hurts. The places where most people don't want to go. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be broken when we see people um, marred, and the image of God marred and broken in other people. That we would um, be driven and discontent to bring them to your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do this. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as um, we play our um, final song, um, we'll be passing the plates. And so we'd encourage you guys to put your connection cards in there. It's also a time in our worship where we worship by giving a little back to what God has so graciously given us. And God asks us to tithe and to, to be generous not because he needs our money, because we need to know what it means to be grateful and to give back what he has given to us. And so let us, let us do this in his name.